this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Well, hello and welcome to another glorious edition of the Jay Allen Show. I really hope that things are going well inside of your neck of the woods. Hopefully you had a fantastic Valentine's Day as we're just coming out of that. Well, today we have the opportunity to speak with Anton Guinea. As a 21-year-old, Anton survived a near-fatal accident which changed his life and his outlook forever. For over 15 years, he has been dedicated to supporting business to upgrade their safety culture. Anton shares insights, provides actual methods, coupled with powerful concepts and tools. So let's get rolling with this conversation between Anton and myself right now on The Jay Allen Show. The Jay Allen Show is streaming now on safetyfm.live. I just like having a, a realistic conversation and going from there. And I guess I'll start off with the most simple question and also the most difficult question all at the same time. How did you get, inv- how did you get involved inside of the world of safety? Oh, Jay, it was a fair while ago where, would you believe, I actually did this really silly thing called sticking a steel ruler on a switchboard during some work that I was doing. <laughs> I hope you're joking. I really do. <laughs> I know, right? I know. And and sadly enough, I'm, I'm not. An, and I say that I got into safety the hard way when that switchboard that I was working on blew up in my face and I sort of suffered really severe second-degree burns and spent months recovering and having my skin pulled off and, you know, all that sort of gory stuff. So I, I came to safety the wrong way, Jay, is probably the best way of saying that by learning through a real personal experience that was sort of quite tragic tragic at the time and, and probably could have been a lot worse. In some ways, I was probably pretty lucky to survive. So let me ask this, the strange question then. So what were you doing at the time before the incident actually occurred? And, and mate, so important to try to unpack that in your own mind because you, you, after something like that happens, like I still reckon there's this PSTD thing that goes on or PTSD thing that goes on. And, and for 10 years, I was sort of trying to unpack that for myself so I could actually move forward. And rushing was a big deal. So I was trying to impress. Basically now, having studied psychology, it feels to me like everything else was a priority other than safety in that moment, if that makes sense. So my personal safety was really on the back burner because I was trying to I was trying to, you know, be a fast worker. I was trying to save time. I was trying to save five minutes doing a five-minute job. I was trying to impress the person that I was working with. And, and all of those other things were way more important than going home at the end of the day safely. So w- roughly timeline, what are we talking about? What year are we looking at when the, all this starts occurring or actually occurred, better saying? Oh, we're talking 1994, Jay, like forever ago, mate, seriously. And even though it does still feel like yesterday and, and the nurse at the time said, oh, you'll be right, you'll be, you know, healed in a couple of months and you'll forget all about it. <laughs> so, Boy, were they wrong, right? <laughs> absolutely, Jay. And it's, it's, it's sort of one of those significant emotional events that you have in life and there's so much pain associated with it and everyone suffers around you. And, yeah, it's not that easy to get over, mate, as you could probably imagine. So let me ask a couple of strange things here, because as you go through this, because this is definitely a life-changing experience, there's no ands, ifs, and buts about it. So you go through this, you're recovering, you said a few months, but of course, mentally, this has impact on you, I would imagine, more than just a few months. We're probably talking years at this point. Oh, absolutely, Jay. And I really believe that it was 10 years. It took me 10 years to unpack 
why it is that I was willing to do something that I, one, that I knew was wrong, two, that I knew could go significantly badly, and then three, to actually follow through after, even after knowing all that and then taking this personal action that resulted in, and at the end of the day, it's totally 100% my responsibility. And I did something personally that I stood there in front of a switchboard in front of an energy source that is that potentially is fatal that could have taken my own life. Like WTF, mm-hmm. <laughs> why would you put yourself in a position like that? You know, and I don't now. And so for 10 years, Jay, because we moved away from the town that I live in, and I didn't have to talk about it. Yes, I looked different. because Not that I'm scarred, but I had this new pink skin, this baby skin that had come through, and uh, and I looked different. So some people wanted to know about it, but after 10 years when I came back to the, this town that we used to live in, people knew that I'd had this incident and they wanted to talk about it. And so I sort of had to talk about it more then, and that was sort of a bit cathartic. And so I was able to, you know, now – from from then to now, really talk more about it in industry and share my story so that other people can learn from that and not put themselves in a similar situation and make silly decisions like I did. But do you feel that when you're telling that story for the first time, not so much for when you're going out and doing speeches, but when you're doing this story for the first time and you're sharing the information of this incident that occurred, do you look back and you're re- reliving the whole thing over again as you're describing it to people? Absolutely, and sometimes more than others. You know, like the first time I told it, it was crazy because it was about 15 years ago. About 15 years I've been doing this work, and that's obviously moved into more like safety leadership type work and psychological safety leadership work, etc. Now, I remember the first time I told it, man, it was so impactful for me personally because I got asked to speak at a safety meeting, and I was on a site where you know, someone from the operations team led the safety meeting and the, and some of the topics leading up to mine were like how to put on sun cream or how to indicate on a roundabout, you know, like really, really important topics. Well, they are important. <laughs> oh, I'm going to laugh. I'm so sorry about that. Yeah, they're important, all right. <laughs> yeah, and, and they are important, you know, and they, they, they're just not, they're not, exciting they're boring for the audience right everyone sort of nods and and yeah you're right we'll put that sunburn cream on properly (laughs) and someone said Anton can you leave this this safety meeting and I said yeah if I do that I've got to tell this personal story and they said yeah that's okay do that and I I just listened to a video by Charlie Moorcraft Jay have you heard of Charlie Moorcraft oh oh yes what a fantastic story he has oh and mate, that was a massive inspiration for me. That was probably the tipping point for me when I heard that at the induction for the site that I was on. I went, "Holy mackinoli, There's someone out there that's sharing their story and, and able to, to to help others by telling their story." And, and that was one of the big things when I got asked to talk at this safety meeting. I said, "You know what? If Charlie Moorcraft can do it, I can do it." And I told that story. And back to your question, where you said, "Was it?" Was it like being there? Absolutely, it was like being back in the moment. Because you know, I got a switchboard photo, and I, and I, you know, showed what it was like to be blown up, and I showed the photos of my hands, and I talked about the skin being peeled off in the burn unit, and all that sort of stuff. And it was, it was really like being back there in the moment. So, as your experience, and I just want to know about the first time because I know that we can talk a little bit more about what you're doing now. But as your experience, this is the first time, and you're living through this. 
do you, is it an emotional event for you? And I know that, you know, we normally don't talk about emotions on most of these shows, but I'm trying to understand the, what you're going through because now you're in a public setting having this conversation and you're describing it for the first time. So you're reliving to an extent too. Mm, absolutely. And, and significantly high emotions, Joe. So you imagine that um, not only the emotion of being on stage public speaking for the first time, Jay, which is quite a significant emotional event. Oh, hold on. This is the first time you're public speaking too. Oh, wow. This is like a whole other plethora of things. I mean, you're living double emotions here. Absolutely. And so I'm, I'm off the Richter scale sort of nerves and I'm off the Richter scale um, personal experience wise. And, and I'm in front of people that I know. So all these people I know and love and they're workers that I've been working with for probably six or 12 months at that stage and we were a small tight-knit group and here I am up the front about to reveal the most personal things about the recovery, not only just why I was, what's the right word, is, is dickhead a politically correct term these days? <laughs> <laughs> why I did something silly in a switchboard that could have led to my um death and when you are when you actually open your heart up when you actually you know peel back the layers and say i really did something silly and this is what it was resulted in and this is the pain and suffering and i talked about the pain and suffering from my parents joe so my my dad got a phone call to say that i'd been electrocuted which which means fatally injured as you know and so Jay, it was really, you know, so many layered for that, that particular day. It was 30 minutes that I was just drained afterwards. So, yeah, to absolutely that, that first time. And you know what? It wasn't the first time I don't think that was so impactful on me. It was the second time because six months later I got asked to tell the story again. After I told it the second time, I walked into my boss's office and resigned and said, I'm leaving this work. I'm going to go and tell this story for a living. <laughs> But, but it's a, it's amazing when you look back at this for a moment, the vulnerability that you're opening yourself up to, because here's the thing. I mean, even as you described it, a dickhead mood, your, your word, not mine, but you, that, that you did something that was, you know, not what most people would do. And that's how some of these incidents occur. But what it, I mean, there has to be so many emotions at the time of what if this does not actually get accepted by the audience what if they cannot actually accept what you're telling them like well it was silly what you did let's move on so you're i mean you're going onto this stage and you're making yourself number one vulnerable and taking a risk on what you're actually sharing i mean and, and i'm talking from a psychological standpoint here not so much like doing the work but man what an amazing story so you go in there you resign and you say this is what i'm going to do for a living how do you know that the market is going to accept what you have to say? <laughs> Great comment. I didn't. <laughs> and then I had to come home and tell my lovely wife, Jay. So let's just unpack the emotions and the psychology behind it first. I, I think what I needed at the time was I needed to see something like Charlie Moorcraft to actually – Give me just the push, you know, like without that video, I would never have had the emotional, the psychological strength. I would never have been able to control my emotional state enough to believe, which as, as we know that all behavior is belief driven, and I would never have believed that I had the ability to tell that story in a way that I could control my emotions enough to get my words out, to get that past the vulnerability piece and really 
express what I wanted to share with that audience that day because that's the, the thing about, as you know, is that it's that emotional control that has to be tied with a message that's worth telling. And when you can put both of those together all of a sudden, you get this impactful experience for your audience because it's not about the speaker at the end of the day. It's about the experience that the audience has that I now realise after all this years of doing this work. And and to be able to, you know, think about the impact that this thing had on my life and to be able to package that up into 30 minutes at the time um, with the emotional strain that went with that um, was tough. And, and Mind you, in saying that, once I'd resigned from my job and once I left that site and came home that night, I'll never forget the conversation that I had with my wife. I said, you know, babe, um, you know, I resigned. She said, okay, well, that's really interesting. She said, because there's two kids in this house. She said, now there's zero jobs. There's two more <laughs> There's two mortgages, and apparently there's only one adult living here. She said. <laughs> well, well I, I hope she still is the wife. Nothing didn't change from there, right? But 30, 30 years and going strong. Well, twenty six years of marriage, Joe, and thirty years together. So, oh, congratulations with that. Well, good that she stuck with you. So then, what are next steps then? I mean, because this changes everything. Let's just be realistic. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, now you have a story, a very important story. I mean, mm-hmm. and let's make sure that we that we do reference how important it is. Mm. And you have a message that you want to share with others. You have inspiration by Charlie Moorcraft's story, Mm. but how do you decide that this is something you can move forward with? Because now you have put a gamble because this is what it is (laughs) on your story on moving forward. So how does this come about? So it's, it was really simple. It just came about with a decision. It just came about Jay with right. and, And a commitment and an absolute, um, burn the boats. We're not going back. So resign, um, get a business name, and start ringing people. It was it was in the age when e- email wasn't as big as it was now. There was no email marketing. There was no, you know, YouTube. There's no blogging back then. Fifteen years ago, when I sort of first went into business, all that stuff was just sort of kicking off and starting. And so back in the day, it was just you know, ring people that you know and just say, hey, this is what I'm doing now, and hope and pray that people were willing to give me a start and to give me the opportunity to come and talk to their teams and share this message and and in the early days when you when you really set out as you know in business one you don't really know whether you're going to go any good and whether you're going to succeed because you don't even know what your message is you don't even know really what what your market wants and so you've got to you've got to navigate this river of um I feel like there's something out there. I feel like I can add value to the planet. I feel like I've got a message for workers. Will they be interested? And two, they're not the ones that get me on site. It's their leaders that get me on site. So will safety leaders, will operational leaders, will organisational leaders be interested in this story and be interested in bringing someone into their business like me Um and allow me the opportunity to try and touch their hearts and minds, which will end up in their hands hopefully too, and then making different decisions. So, you know, all of that stuff, when you put all that together and you're trying to make these these decisions about your future and your business and there's no money rolling in at the moment, and again, and that and that significantly that the fear of sitting in my office back in those early days or my bedroom back in those early days with a computer in front of me trying to you know 
get paid to do this thing that I knew that I was I could be good at, which I wasn't good at at the time. As you know, when you first start in business, Jay, you're pretty crappy, and, <laughs> and and public speaking is something you've got to learn. You know, I was crappy at that too. So I said, let me out there and let me let me talk to all your people and all your workers because I feel like I got this message. And then when I got there, I didn't do such a good job with that, Jay. <laughs> so, and, and so all of a sudden um, I realised very quickly that business wasn't going to be as easy as I thought it was because I was overly confident in my own ability. Um, thank God I was. And I was very naive about the struggles in business because the struggles in business, I think if I knew how hard business was at the time, I probably wouldn't have done it by rights. So well, I think that's most of us. I think that most of us go, I did not realize, you know, how, how, how much it takes to actually catch and kill sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and fortunately, Joe, I got a couple of, you know, those lucky breaks where I had some friends that said, oh, you know, we're in the safety business now or we're, you know, we're, we're supervisors or superintendents now. We've got the opportunity, Anton, to bring you into our business. Come and do the first one for free and we'll see what you look like and then we'll, we'll bring you back if you're any good. So I got the opportunity to go and, and, and do some of that work with some people that I knew and loved and, and they trusted me enough and I think it was that trust to get started and, and all of a sudden here we are 15 years later on and obviously my work's developed though it oh yes i mean uh, there there's a lot of work to be spoken about so we'll go over that in just a moment don't don't worry we're going to cover a lot of information here but here's the question for you from when you decide to quit go out on your own and yes you did reference that you did a few of these speeches for free when is the first time that well we can say did you have the opportunity to do a free speech compared to a paid speech. What are we talking timeline? Oh, from when I went into business, Jay, so the day that I went into business, which was September 2004, by, by Christmas time, so it was, it was months before I actually got paid to tell my story. So by Christmas 2005, I was actually telling the story um, and we were ex- I was exchanging my story for money. So between one and three months was the timeline and in that time I'd had to do a f- a f- a, you know plenty of free ones like at a rotary or even on sites that where these these buddies of mine, as I said, had got me in to do some free ones. So and 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 believe it or not, in those even in those first early sessions, I can remember and I shouldn't <laughs> I don't even like thinking about this though. I used to put people to sleep even in you know thirty or sixty minutes. <laughs> Oh, but the reason that I ask this is because sometimes we need to understand the story. We need to understand the story of where you came from and how you got to where you're at. And that's what I always find interesting is because sometimes people look at others and me included. I mean, I don't want to say the wrong thing where we look at someone and they might be doing stuff at X level. And we don't realize that they had these struggles to get to this point. I mean, your struggle Besides, if you quit your job and went for it, you have this catastrophic event that happens that becomes part of your life story that you want to tell others. And let's be realistic. Safety professionals, as we can word it, is they're doing the stuff that they do. We don't do it for free. I mean, let's just be realistic. I know that, you know, we do it because we love people, but we still have to actually, you know, feed the family. So I always like to have the other side of the equation. Some people don't like talking about it, but I think it makes a better conversation when we do have these. So as you're sitting around, you get the first gig, 
you're doing it. You're moving forward. You, you put some people to sleep, but you excited some others because you had other opportunities come about. At what point then do you say, I have an idea. I want to write my first book because there's a number of them, but you say, I'm going to do the first one. Mm. No, I, and I, I reckon it was probably around the six to 12 month mark. As soon as I started speaking and as soon as people started being interesting, Jay, and I love the fact that you're willing to really unpack this, this hard stuff because, you know, the book was hard, you know. The, that first book was it was a year or two in the making, and it was it, it was a slog. It to to get all of that information together and to be able to to put you know ten thousand or twenty thousand or thirty thousand words on a page and to actually put it together in some sort of a meaningful way. When you, these are things, as you know, that you've never done before. It's the first time that I was in business. It was the first time I'd done a speech. It's the first time I got paid. It was the first time I'd written a book. And you know, there was, you make so many mistakes along the journey and you find people around you that you think can help and some of them can and sometimes you pick the right people and sometimes you pick the wrong consultants to help out. And the, the, the challenges are firstly getting paid because that's, you've really got to do that. And, and unless, unless you can find a way to put food on the table, you're going to go out of business very quickly, as you know. And I love, again, this unpacking of the struggles because all of a sudden here we are 15 years later and thank you for having me on the show because, you know, the overnight success thing, I love the overnight success thing. I've been at this forever and, and yeah, you're right, written five books and at the end of the day, People don't see that. They just see the now. They see 15 years' worth of experience just showing up and all of a sudden it's polished and it's and it's a good process and here's some books that you can, you know, that are sell or to give away, whatever the case may be. And people don't really understand that, that you know, for five, those first five years, you, you don't actually get a lot of work and it's, you know, it's hand-to-mouth stuff for the first five years in business or three, two to three probably, really. And the, the skill that you've got to craft, and, you know, some of the biggest mistakes that I made, if, if I can unpack those very quickly, is that okay? Just maybe the quick couple of mistakes. Oh, please, go right ahead. The first one was trying to be someone else, Jay. So, the biggest mistake that I think I made was, and, and you, you'll probably appreciate this one, I thought, right, so I'm going to be a public speaker. I'm going to change the world with public speaking. Right, who's the best on the planet? Tony Robbins, great. I better go to a Tony Robbins seminar and do what Tony Robbins does. So I did that. So I go and watch him, and then all of a sudden I try to emulate what he does, you know, the way he walks, the way he talks, the way he moves his hands, the way he moves his feet, the way he tells stories. And uh, could, could you match the height? I mean, that's going to be another problem, of course, right? Yeah, of course, because you, <laughs> you can't be someone else, Jack. <laughs> and what I found was um, the more I tried to be someone else, the more that I wasn't myself and the more that I was inauthentic. So I really had to come back to when when you're in the public speaking game, you've got to bring yourself, you've got to bring your own vulnerability, you've got to bring your own story, not someone else. So, And, and that took me a few years to really understand that it's not about being someone else. It's about being you and, and it's about being authentic. And it's about bringing your own personal story and bringing vulnerability and emotion to it. The next thing that I, I learned 
was around it's not about me as the speaker. I used to, you know, really get into how important I was as a speaker. And what a load of bollocks. It's about the other people in the in the on the planet. You know, it's about other humans and it's about the, you're not successful unless you're going to add some value. And and I really actually didn't learn that early enough. Like it took me a few years and I sort of got wrapped up in writing books and doing stuff. And now it's more of a giving process. It's more turning up in service. So I think that anyone in business, as you like, look at you, you know, how much value are you adding to the planet by sharing all of these personal stories? And that's, you know, that's turning up in service. And I think if I'd learnt that sooner, that probably would have helped my career as well. And and I think the third one is probably just around making sure that your message is, messaging is meaningful. And it, it comes back to point two where it's about other people. And it's about caring enough to make your message and help your message be important and, and talking to different audiences. So, you know, when I'm talking to leaders, my message is different to when I'm talking to electricians. Yesterday, Jay, I, I spoke to apprentices, you know. That's really important work for me because these are these are young humans that are 17, 18, 19 years old going out into the workforce for the first time that are about to swing the spanner for the first time. And, and to be able to be part of their journey is really, really important. So I'm going to make that messaging meaningful and I can't talk about psychological safety or safety leadership to them. It's about, hey, don't do something silly, team, you know, don't do what I did. So it's a really simple message for apprentices because they're just going out to the workforce for the first time. So they're probably the three key things that I learned, Jay, back back in the day. This is The Jay Allen Show. We all want to make sure that our family is protected in medical emergencies. What many of us don't realize is that health insurance won't always cover the full amount of an emergency medical flight. Even with comprehensive coverage, you could get hit with high deductibles and co-pays. That's why an air MedCare Network membership is so important. As a member, if an emergency arises, you won't see a bill for air medical transport when flown by an AMCN provider. Best of all, a membership covers your entire household for as little as $85 a year. AMCN providers are called upon to transport nearly 100,000 patients a year. This is coverage no family should go without. Now, as a Jay Allen Show listener, you'll get up to a $50 e-gift card with a new membership. Simply visit airmedcarenetwork.com slash safety and use the offer code safety. And don't forget to tell them that Jay Allen sent you. And we are back on the Jay Allen Show on Safety FM. So going back to saying the portion where you said that you learned that you did not want to mimic others after a a small bit. How long are we talking down, down the path when you make this discovery that you say, okay, I need to be my own, my own person. Look, I reckon it was, it was probably years. It was, it was literally years before I actually worked out that um, the, the harder I tried, the less I was successful. And what I mean by that is the harder I tried to to be Tony Robbins or, or a great public speaker, the less I succeeded. The, when I flicked the switch and said, you know what, just do you, bro. You know, I had this, this uh, I don't think it was an epiphany, it was just a, a learning experience where I said, you could do this better. You could actually bring more of yourself to this. You could open your heart up, you could open your head up, you could open your 
your learnings up and you could actually just tell it the way you want to tell it. You know, there's no script for this. Don't worry about public speaking school because I went and studied from Australia's best public speaker, Matt Church, as well and followed the process. Now if you listen to me speak, you'd probably say that I was – technically incorrect in the way that I do it because I just I probably free freestyle it a little bit that's who I am though and you know you and I are freestyling now that's who you are and when we find our our process Jay when we find the way that works for us holy mackinoli it's it's authentic and it's a and it's a real um it's it's a real Mm, satisfying process to actually turn up authentically. So I reckon it was probably at least years that it took me to learn that lesson. So it took you several years to learn this. As you learned this, so I would imagine that the people that are listening to your messaging, the companies and organizations that you're interacting with are seeing a change in what you're doing. So what happens now? What happens to what people are saying about the offerings that you're giving them? Oh, Mate, what happened, Jay, specifically was as I started getting a little bit more polished, people were really interested more than, in more than just the story. So I'd go into an organisation and, and, you know, they'd get me in for a 45-minute speech or one-hour speech and I'd talk about the incident. Then they'd, they'd ask the, some of these questions like you've asked today, hey, so what did you learn and not only what did you learn, what did your leader learn, what did the business that you're in at the time learn what were the changes they made and hey by the way can you come and not only work with our workers could you share with our leaders what leaders could do to help their workers stay safe to be more risk mindful I went okay cool and I'd never heard of this thing called safety leadership I'd never thought about hey a supervisor of other humans has the impact or the ability to impact on other people's safety like I you know yes you knew that and yes yes I sort of did at a head level I never got it at a heart level so all of a sudden and I'd not encouraging absolutely yep yep safety leadership's important and I I didn't really conceptualize at the time that it's more than my work is more than just speaking to other workers. My work is speaking to to CEOs, to speaking to safety leaders, to safety professionals, and coming up with how how my experience and obviously all the research that's been done now and all the papers that people have written and, and different things, how we can package all that up into safety leadership training, how we can use psychological safety theory and line that up with physical safety and how does psychological safety impact safety, uh, physical safety leadership and what are safety leaders doing out there or not doing that impacts on the decisions that their teams make that keep them safe or not. And so my work sort of, you know, turned into more of the the mindset stuff for leaders rather than the the hand stuff for workers. And and there's a there's obviously still a lot of both in the work that I do. Though it it developed as my work got better, people said, Hey, if you can do it with the workers, could you come and do it with our leaders? And I went, absolutely love to. So as you start doing it with the leaders and you're seeing the transition and the change of everything going forward, now you're talking to a separate group of people to an extent. I mean, it's still the same group, but slightly different. Now they're seeing the polished version of you. You're changing the way that you're looking. 
you're going to, you've already done school at this point, but then all of a sudden you decide, Hey, I don't think I have enough. It's time to go back. What's the decision behind this? Oh yeah. And so, so it was funny because in the burns unit, when just after the incident, Jay, I worked out that I was never going to become an electrician anymore, or never going to work as an electrician anymore. And and I understandably, understandably so. I, I I get it. I really do. Oh mate, you know it is crap, Jay. When like even to this day, I don't go and reset the the circuit breaker in my switchboard even at home. Like seriously, this stuff has long term impacts. And so I said, I'm not going to go and work as an electrician anymore, even though I had to. This was the weirdest, weirdest thing. I'd studied this apprenticeship for four years, and I didn't know that I could do anything else. I didn't have the mindset that you and I have now, where just go and change your career if you want. <laughs> and and so I decided I was going to work as an electrician. I started studying human resources back in the day, you know, back not long after I got out of the burns unit because I said I've got to get off the tools. I actually went and worked as an electrician for, for three years after the burns unit. But I, was, I was really, really scared at work and I didn't want to work as an electrician, so I couldn't wait to get off the tools. And so I studied a, a human resources degree because I really wanted to understand. It was the closest thing in my mind at the time to – why do people do what they do? How do we influence others? You know, and I, I think it was the start of my journey of trying to unpack, trying to learn about myself and others. And then all these years later, so that became business and then man- and I studied management, then I studied maintenance management because I was a maintenance superintendent at the time. And then a few years ago, you know, I, I really went, you know what, I don't have enough information. I don't have enough um, knowledge around how the brain works, how the mind works, this decision-making stuff. And so I went, you know what, I'm going to do a psychology degree. I'm really going to deep, go deep. I'm going to deep dive into what it means to make safe decisions from a psychological perspective. What is what is the psychology that's happening at the at the coal face, we call it in Australia, at the, you know, at the work front for workers? What, what What's going on in their brain when they're making a decision and how can we influence that so that they make safer decisions from a psychology perspective? You know, what, what's going on in people's amygdala? What's going on? In the the Wernicke's area, where what are they hearing, and then and then what? How's that translating to how they process information, and how does that show up in their in their hands? So we talk about hearts, heads, and hands. So what what is it for people? What's the big why? Why do they make the decisions that they do? And so I'm still committed to that question. Why do people make the decisions that they do, and how can we how can we help them make safer decisions at work, and not just not just physical safer decisions, psychologically safer decisions. How can we help leaders create environments for people where they're willing to speak up? So how do do we help leaders say to workers, yes, it's okay, tell me more. Yes, I know you know your job. Well, tell me about it so that we can help you do a better job at what you do. Does that that make sense, Jay? Yeah, yeah, it does. It actually does. Mm, Cool. mm. Go ahead, go ahead. So I was just going to say, so psychology, doing a psych degree, mate, has been probably, oh, 
would I say one of the best decisions I've made in my life. I've just enjoyed it so much. I just, I, I, I can't get enough of how the brain works, how the mind works, and how that shows up in behaviour. So, you know, I really, and I, I encourage anyone to do some psych study because it's just such an interesting part of life. And as you know, being PhD oh, too, Jack. I understand it slightly. I understand it slightly. Mm. I say that jokingly, of course. But here's the thing. How much do you, when you decide to go into this and you do the psychology stuff and you're still doing the safety stuff, and you mentioned a couple of points here, but what do you think that it did to the work you were doing? How much did it change from where you originally started? Now, we did cover part of that conversation. Mm. where you are now with that change. I mean, of course, it's crazy going back and getting a degree, but it's a great idea also at the same time, too. Let's not kind of shy away from that. But how much did it change the work that you were doing? Oh, like... I'm going to say 360 degrees, <clears throat> excuse me, Jay, just significantly, mate. Um, I feel like I plateaued in my work. I feel like I did the same stuff for too long. And I think I, I don't feel like I gave my, and this is only looking back on it now, I don't feel like I gave my clients the best knowledge on the planet. I don't feel like I was educated enough. I don't feel like I was aware enough of just how much literature's out there, how much I had the the opportunity to share. You know, like we, uh, I'm going to say a lot of people, Jay, on the planet just don't realise just how much inf- information's at our disposal. And now there's too much information at our disposal, really, which is paradoxical. <laughs> obviously, and it's about corralling what information's out there so that you can share that in a meaningful way and that you can add to that information so that you can do some some culture or safety culture research. You know, we're going to about to work with a, a university so that we can do some of that work, add to the knowledge base on the planet by understanding what people feel and how they think and how they behave and, and what that looks like from a uh, you know a mindset perspective in organisations and how we can help leaders further understand their, their teams and their people. And so has it improved my work? Oh, significantly, Jay, and I'm – you know, I'm looking at papers literally that I've got open on my, my screen at the moment from, you know, Andrew Neal at the University of Queensland or An- Andrew Hopkins, who's another researcher. And so it opened my mind up to just how much knowledge there is out there and people like you who are PhD who contribute to the knowledge base on this planet. And I'm just so grateful that I've, I've, with the uni, I've got access to the, obviously to the psychological database, ProQuest, for example, where I just think of a, a topic, a safety climate. Oh, what's safety climate? Who's written a paper on that? And all of a sudden I can then, you know, try to piece these things together and, and put a leadership program together around or add that information to our leadership programs. So, you know, in answer to your question, has it affected my work? Oh, I'm so grateful, you know, literally grateful that I found psychological research and papers and information and people like you who who can just help me do work better. Oh, I, I, I'm just the guy behind a microphone. I'm trying to still figure out what I'm doing. I mean, let's, I'm not going to play here. <laughs> and, and thank you for being so modest. Um, <laughs> 
No, I, and, and that's the thing. I always think that the journey is such an important portion of the conversation. So I really appreciate you sharing everything that you have. Great. Now, I have a couple of strange questions, so I apologize ahead of time before we start getting into them. <laughs> but we, we talked about your books, and you, and you did some books, mm. and you did the first book. And mm. I know that I'm backtracking a little bit here. Oh, that's okay. But, but how does the first book go? You put, you put so much out there, you release it, you're still polishing the craft, so how does it work for you? <laughs> Look, okay, Joe, okay, Look, and that's probably the answer. How did it work? It worked okay, and I, I'll tell you why. Um, and, you know, I didn't know how to market books at the time, and I probably still don't. I made the mistake of treating my book as an expensive business card, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I I'd take it and and I'd, I'd, I've given probably more away than I've sold, which is okay in my mind because I think it's part of the giving. Um, my books have let me let me say this: my books, and this is honest. You know, I'd love to be able to tell you that I've, I've made a million from books and all the rest of it. It's probably not the case for me, unfortunately. I've I've always made my money back on my books, so it's not as if they've cost me a fortune. So they, some of them have, and I've written five. Some have cost. Um, five dollars to print, and I've sold for twenty. Some have cost two dollars to print, and, and I, I don't know if you're supposed to give all that away. I don't know if that's oh, so. <laughs> right. um, and and maybe not, and that's right. And I'm just I'm just being honest with you. I suppose. No, I, I, I say that jokingly. Of course, it's your business. Yeah. You're opted to do whatever you want. But I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, but I just ask some of these these interesting questions mm. because here's the thing. You go from give your life direction. I, I'm assuming that's the first one. If I if I found the information well, correctly. It was. And then you go into the choice point, but inside of this arena of books that you do, then there's the one that throws me off. So I have, it throws me off because it doesn't match the rest of the sequence. <laughs> and here it is. Millionaires and billionaires. Secrets revealed. How does this come about? Well, this was an interesting one, Joe, where I, this, have you heard of a guy called Spike Humor? Uh, does not sound familiar, but I'm terrible with names. So no, that's okay. So, so the reason I ask is Spike is an American guy who um, who used to work for some of the the thought leaders over there from, in a marketing space, and um, and Spike and a guy called Darren Stevens, who's a, an Aussie guy, um, were doing a program at the time where they were looking for contributors. They were looking for people like myself who wanted to write bestsellers and that were interested. In actually being part of a process where they looked at really, really serious, really high-level success stories, and unpacking what it, what it, what those people did to become successful. So the Richard Bransons of the world, or the Oprah Winfrey's of the world, and and Spike, this this American guy, was actually connected to these people, and. Um, and I was lucky enough to actually get the chance to to work with those two guys. And I actually hoped at the time, Jay, that I'd get to obviously talk to some of these really successful people, which I didn't, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, I got to edit all the material. So, so Spike and Darren got to interact with all of these famous people and ask them the questions like you're asking me and that turned up in a book and and I obviously I didn't get the chance to, to interact with Oprah or Richard Branson unfortunately I got the chance to interact with people like Spike and, and Darren and we pulled this book together just of all of these great people and I just 
because my goal was to write a best-selling book and I got the opportunity to do that with Spike and Darren and I just I jumped at it at the time because I really wanted to, one, keep developing and I want to learn and I wanted to take my life to the next level, obviously, as we all do and keep growing and developing and I wanted to understand what it took to be uber successful. And so, and the journey was great. So I fulfilled a life goal of writing a best-selling book, got to meet some really, really cool people and, um, and learnt a lot about what Richard Branson and Oprah Winfrey and people like that do. Let's be realistic here. I mean, I think you're kind of shying away slightly, but you are the lead author name on the book. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I'm not going to look into alphabetical order. Let's not talk about that part. I'm talking about that. That's, you have the primary name listed. You are the first on that book. Yeah. And that's pretty special, I must admit. And that's why I was so, I guess, um, that's why I jumped at the opportunity, Jay, because it was such an, a great opportunity to be part of that process and to actually write a bestseller. And it's something I'm really, really proud of actually writing a best-selling book and it's something that, um, you know, is really near and dear to my heart and I know it doesn't fit the sequence and you're probably not the first person that said that. Why did you Why did you go and do that one? Why didn't you, you know, do, do something else? I, I guess I just... I just love the opportunity. I just love the process of, of being part of writing a bestseller. I'd never written a bestseller. I didn't know how to market him. I didn't know how to do much of that. And, I, and it was just so important at the time. And, I'm, yeah, I'm really grateful and it's really special to, to have. Oh, no, no, no. Believe me, I don't want that to come across the, the wrong way because no. I say it doesn't fit the sequence of what you were doing. But let's be realistic. There's other outside interests that safety people have outside of safety. So I don't want it to be like, if it's not safety, we cannot talk about it. This is a terrible interview. Let's call it. <laughs> Good call. Oh, thank you. Thanks for clarifying. I mean, oh, I, mean I, just want, I just want to make sure because I, when I found the books, I was looking and I was like, well, this one doesn't, one does not look like the other. And I was like, I have to ask the question behind it. Yeah. And, it and I love hearing the purpose. Now, you go two books further after that one. You go, let's talk about safety. And then yeah. you have the newest book, How to Get Life Results. So tell me a little bit more about that one. Oh, so so how to get life results was a really interesting one, Jay. Because what I did was I I had the bestseller obviously at that stage, and so we had the Richard Branson's, the Oprah Winfrey's. How to get life results is is how how normal people out there on the planet are us doing their thing successfully. So this was the one that really, really I, I got so excited about this one because it was not the Richard Bransons of the world. It was the, the Jay Allens and the Anton Guineas on the planet who aren't household names that are, that are actually adding value to the planet. You know, there was, the you know, a, a physiotherapist on there who was, a, a you know, a physio to what we call the state of origin team, right? So... Um, he was a really successful physio and now he's gone and studied law. So, you know, that's a great success story. How do you go from, you know, school to physio for for a really um, important sport team to to now being a lawyer? How does that happen? My brother's in there. Um, he, He went from not great at school to now he's a doctor, you know, and like how do, how, what are the journeys like for for normal people and how what are the decisions that they make? You know, we had the, 
the head of the National Speakers Association in Australia, Lindsay Adams, in that book. You know, how do you – and he was the same as you and I where he made a decision one day to go into business. And what did that look like for him to go from that to being – you know, the National Speakers Association head. And so it was really around I had the, the millionaires of billionaires at one end of it, and then this other book was, hold on a second, how can we all do it? How can anyone on the planet go and live their dreams and be successful? And how do you actually get life results, whether you want to be a doctor, whether you want to be a physio, whether you want to be a podcaster, whether you want to be a psychologist, whatever that is, you know, and how do you how do you – Believe in yourself enough to make the decisions that are going to take you to where you want to go, and how do you step forward? How do you step into your power, and how do you how do you make really really tough decisions that come with risk? And how do you unpack the risk reward scenario so that you've got enough courage to go out there into the world and do the things that you know deep down in your heart of hearts you've got the ability to do, Jay? That that is out there waiting for you. How do you? go out and be, and for me even, and you talked about outside of work and outside of safety, you know, I've uh, been lucky enough to represent our country in triathlon, Joe. And oh, wow. I'm coming to your amazing country hopefully in September if I can get there around this COVID crisis to, to do a half Ironman for, at the World Championships. So, so you know, oh, congratulations, congratulations! Thank you so much, and I, I can't wait to get over to Utah. Is Utah any good? Saint George, Utah, is that a good part, part of the world? Well, it's it's an interesting part of the world. Um, de- depending on the time of the year, it can get kind of cold there. That's that's for sure. <laughs> well, that's too. Can it get hot though? In some- uh, of course. Uh, well, it's kind of that weird time of the year because that's kind of like uh, um, there's a lot of skiing that happens in the state of Utah, so it'll be interesting on the timeline. Now, keep in mind that everything backwards here, your summer is our winter, so you'll be coming right into that fall-winter area time. There you go. No, okay. Thank you. No, so, um, so yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that, and and that's sort of, you know, the, the other side of the story where we've all got interests outside of safety, and I really want to inspire others through that book, like, how to get life results that, hey, you can do anything you want, whether it's, you know, Ironman triathlon or whether it's going doing a psych degree or whatever it is for you. And there's plenty of other people out on the planet doing it. Well, Anton, I really do appreciate you coming on to the show. If people want to know more about you and the products that you offer and the services you offer, where can they go? Oh, www.antonguinea.com.au, Jay, or www.theguineagroup, T-H-E-G-U-I-N-E-A-G-R-O-U-P.com.au. They're the best places to go. Well, Anton, I really do appreciate you coming on to the show. Jay, thank you so much for having me, mate. You're doing great work, and I just really appreciate the opportunity to have such a great conversation with, with someone like yourself. Thank you so much, and thanks for the great questions. Well, that will conclude another episode of The Jay Allen Show. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Anton Guinea as much as I did. Remember, The Jay Allen Show can be heard exclusively on Safety FM. Safety FM is the home of real safety talk. We couldn't do what we do here without you. The most important part of Safety FM, the listeners. We'll be back with another episode of The Jay Allen Show before too long. Goodbye for now. Want more of the Jay Allen Show? Go to safetyfm.com.
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.